Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. you to take God's Word and turn to John chapter 11. Uh, Scott mentioned I am the dad of four girls. I'm the president of my own little sorority house, all right? Wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, absolutely love those girls. Some, some people say, uh, Jared, are you done? I think, are you kidding me? Four girls? Yes, I'm done, all right? Uh, I, I went for that third one to be a boy, and God gave me two girls instead, all right? And uh, I tell people, you have not because you ask not. When I found out I was having twins, I didn't even bother the Lord with it. I thought, well, he's surely going to even this thing out or at least give me one uh, boy and, sure enough, two girls, all right? And so, uh, I, again, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love being a girl dad. I've got one of my girls with me. Uh, my wife and my oldest are in Zambia right now serving uh, on a missions trip. And so I, I carted the twins off to my parents' house. Uh, and, uh, and I took my second oldest with me. So we're going to have some fun in the city uh, today. We're going to catch a Durham Bulls game tonight. That'll be fun. And uh, go down to Pullen Park in the morning and take them to the zoo. So I'm really looking forward to being in Raleigh-Durham. This is actually only my second time to ever uh, be here. And so uh, thanks for having me. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, allowing me the privilege and the honor to open up God's Word with you. John chapter 11. You know, there are events uh, in, that take place in our lives, moments. Uh, that take place in our lives that uh, are with us forever. They're so significant. They're so important. You remember exactly where you were in that moment, who you were with, minute details, what you were doing. Uh, For my parents' generation, it was probably something like the assassination of President Kennedy or Martin Luther King Jr. Or maybe it was watching Neil Armstrong take his first steps on the moon. For me, I can vividly remember as a second grader, I'm dating myself and going to date some of you, uh, I can remember as a second grader uh, sitting in a classroom in elementary school and watching the space shuttle, the Challenger, uh, blow up over Cape Canaveral. Remember exactly what I was doing, who I was with. Uh, Of course, none of us uh, can forget where we were September 11, 2001, when we heard the news, when we first uh, saw the footage. Uh, Events like this have a way of being ingrained upon our minds, sealed upon our souls. We don't forget anything about them. July the 7th, 2016, just one year ago this month, was a day like that for me. I can remember I was at my home there in Dallas and was just watching uh, television that evening when all of a sudden a breaking news feature came on the screen. And as I began watching what seemed to be uh, chaos at first, I noticed it was shots of downtown Dallas. And, of course, there were police lights flashing everywhere. There was chaos in the streets. People were running and screaming. Saw police officers yelling at people to get down. They were crouched down behind uh, their police cars. And nobody really knew what was going on. Reports weren't coming in fast enough. And so the questions were, man, is this a terrorist attack in our own city? What I was watching in a place where I've grown up and loved, uh, to say that it was surreal is an understatement. And, of course, news started coming in, trickling in, that... Uh, an ambush had taken place. There was a protest taking, down, uh, taking place in downtown uh, Dallas, and the police officers that were in charge of protecting the citizens that were in uh, this protest, a man had come to uh, the march and had just ambushed them. And what became known uh, later as we would see the greatest loss of life 
in police and public servants uh, since 911. Four Dallas police officers lost their life that day. One DART officer, uh, which is our transit uh, 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 transportation there in Dallas, lost his life. And so a total of five officers lost their life. Uh, that day in Dallas. And so it was just tragic for our community. And again, I'll never forget it. And our church wanting to serve the community in some way, uh, we, we called the Dallas Police Department and opened up our facilities if they wanted to have any of the funerals there. We're one of the only churches in the area that could house the, the, the numbers of people that were expected to attend. And so we just said, anything that we can do to serve you, we want to make this happen. And we hosted two of the five funerals. And one of the funerals that we hosted uh, was that of an officer named Michael Kroll. Uh, Michael was 40 years old. He was an eight-year Dallas police veteran, and he was the first one uh, that was shot and killed that day. And uh, in hosting the service, uh, I had uh, the responsibility of preaching that funeral service. And so what we do when we meet with any funeral who's gone through a loss and we're preaching at funerals, we meet with the family and we want to serve them and, of course, honor Michael, honor the Lord Jesus Christ when we preach these funerals. And so I sat with that family, and I'll just never forget being with that family and just seeing the hurt, uh, just the sense of devastation. Uh, they were in complete shock, and who wouldn't be? They weren't looking for this. This was a day just like any other, and all of a sudden, here, this, this beloved son, he was the youngest of uh, three or four, if I remember correctly, uh, the, this, his sisters would say, uh, he always would look after them when someone in the family would have surgery. It's Michael that would take off and come and look after them, stay with their parents for a while. It was a, it was a family from the Midwest and just a, kind of an all-American family, if you will. And I can just remember their hurt and their pain. And I went home that evening to write the funeral message that would be the next morning. And I sat in front of a computer screen. And I'm telling you, for probably four or six hours, Absolutely nothing. I mean, I'm sitting there with a blank screen and I'm praying, God, you got to give me something. What am I going to say that would comfort this family? What am I going to say that could lessen their pain, that would help encourage a community? Michael's co-workers, again, knew there were going to be a lot of people there, media there. What, what am I going to say, Lord, to be a witness for you? And I knew that our community didn't need a word for me. They needed a word from God. And I'm telling you, I'm sitting there looking at this screen and I'm getting nothing. And so at midnight, I decided to go to bed and I was just going to wake up at four in the morning, five in the morning, hoping that the Lord spoke to me in the middle of the night, gives me a word. And I, I lay my head on my pillow that night. And again, just praying, thinking about the words of the family, seeing the hurt on the family. And it was as if God just spoke to me in that moment and said, Jarrett, uh, you remember in Scripture, Jesus went to the funeral of a friend, don't you? And just spoke this passage into my heart, John chapter 11. And so I want to look at it this morning. You know, I figure with summer, you go to the beach. Many of you have probably been on vacation. You're going on vacation. When you go down to the beach, right, you take a light read. You don't take anything too heavy that'll make you think. You take something that you're going to enjoy. And so I figure with it being summer, why don't we do some light preaching this morning and we'll tackle the subject of why does God allow evil and suffering? All right, light uh, preaching here on this summer day in July. But here's what I want to do. I want to take the same text that I preached at Michael Kroll's funeral a year ago. And I want to give you three simple truths that come from this text because here's the reality. All of us suffer. 
All of us experience pain, heartache, tragedy. We go through trials of some kind. It might not be to the extent that Michael's family and those officers' family experienced on that day a year ago, but it's true. Every single one of us know what pain is. Every single one of us have suffered loss in some way or another. We endure hardship. And so what do we do during these times of suffering? I want to give you three truths from John chapter 11. If you're taking notes, hope you'll write these down. All of these should be on the screen for you right back here. And it'll help you uh, kind of think through them and process them. Okay? And so first point is this. Again, very simple truths this morning. Three of them. First point is this. Number one, it's okay to ask why. Now, you know the context of John chapter 11. Uh, Jesus, some of his best friends, uh, is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This family lived in Bethany. And the Bible tells us that Bethany is about, if you've ever been to Israel, it's about a mile and a half, two miles from Jerusalem. It's a place where uh, Jesus could go to relax, to kind of kick up his legs, if you will, just kind of be himself. He absolutely loved Bethany. It was sort of a retreat center for him. And he loved this family. And the scripture tells us that at some point his friend Lazarus becomes ill. And we know that this must be an emergency situation because Mary and Martha sin for Jesus, who according to John chapter 10 verse 40 is beyond the Jordan. That's a a day or two away. So this is a situation where they need Jesus to come on back. In fact, John chapter 11 verse 3, the Bible says, so the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. They didn't even say his name. They knew Jesus would know who they are talking about. Their brother is sick, Jesus, this friend that you love is ill. Surely when Jesus hears this message, he's going to stop whatever he's doing, leave wherever he's at, and he's going to make his way back to Bethany. But the Bible says that Jesus didn't immediately come. In fact, if you look at verse 6, we're told that Jesus stayed on purpose for two extra days before he ever comes to Bethany. And during that two days, at some point, Lazarus passes away. And so Jesus coming into town... The Bible tells us in John chapter 11, verses 20 and 21. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary gets up a few moments later. We're told in verses 32 of John chapter 11. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So you have the exact same words. Mary and Martha saying the exact same thing. So you know this was the topic of their conversation. Jesus, why didn't you do something? Jesus, why did you allow this to happen? Jesus, where were you when I needed you the most? I thought you loved me. I thought you loved Lazarus. Essentially at the heart of all of this questions is, why God? Why? It's probably a question that we've all asked at one time or another. If we haven't, we will. Why God? (coughs) Why is my marriage crumbling? Why did this loved one that I love so much get diagnosed with this disease? Why are my children that I raised to know and honor the Lord now that they're in college or adults, they're no longer involved in church, no longer 
seeking you? Why God? I love this question. It's a question of honesty. I want to tell you this morning, I want to give you permission, if you will, to let you know it's okay to ask why. Jesus can handle your question. He can handle your doubts. He can handle your fears. He can handle your frustration. He can handle your discouragement, your disappointments in life. He can handle your hurts. And so it's okay in times of suffering and heartache to ask why. I think sometimes we don't do it because we think it'll be a sign of a lack of faith. If I, if I ask why, I'm not showing true faith. But really, when you, when you really think about it, when we ask why, it's a sign of faith. Because when we ask God why, we're coming to God saying, God, you've got the answers. God, I, I don't understand these things. I, I'm coming to you. Rather than turning inward and cratering, rather than turning away from the Lord and running from him because things aren't working out the way that you want them to work out, when we say, God, why? We're drawing near to God in faith. When you think about it, some of the greatest people that we know in Scripture ask questions of faith. Job, Job chapter 7, verse 20, the second part. Listen to it. <coughs> Excuse me. Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? He's looking around going, God, I was a blameless man. Why are all these bad things happening to me? He asks why. David, in Psalm chapter 42, we're going to sing a song based out of Psalm 42 here in just a moment. But in verse 9, he comes to God and he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? God, I'm, I'm a man after your own heart. And when I pray and I seek you, it seems like my prayers are hitting the roof. I don't sense your presence anywhere around me. Why, God, have you forgotten me? Jesus, our Savior. You remember he asked why on the cross. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, he cries out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, I want to encourage you today. If you're going through a tough time, you're going through a trial, it is okay to ask why. Secondly, it's also okay to not understand why. Mary and Martha, they couldn't understand why. Why, Jesus, did you not come? Why did you let our brother die? The crowd that was gathered around Jesus that day, they couldn't understand why. In fact, the scripture tells us that in a, a collective question, they ask in John chapter 11, verse 37, they wondered to themselves, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have not kept this man from dying? They don't understand. They've seen Jesus' miracle-working ministry. They knew that he loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. In this moment, they're, they're asking age-old questions. Jesus, if you were powerful enough, you could have stopped this from happening. Jesus, if you were loving enough, you wouldn't have allowed this to happen. So why, God? There's a statement that we use a lot around our church when people go through times of loss and heartache, when they're walking through times of uncertainty, times that they don't quite understand. And we simply say this. I'm putting it on the screen. I want you to write it down uh, because I think it's a truth that uh, you can take with you in the future. It's simply this. Don't trade what you know for what you don't know. Isn't this the temptation? Relationship breakup. Death of a loved one, job failure, you're let go for some reason. And oftentimes, we want to trade what we know for what we don't know. It's, and it's natural to seek to understand, God, why are you allowing this to happen? But isn't it the truth, even if God came and explained it to us? Number one, we still might not understand it. 
And number two, we might not even agree with it. The Bible tells us, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. We and God, we don't operate on the same level. He says, my ways are neither your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. So when times of suffering come and you ask the question, why, it's okay to ask that question. And it's okay if you don't get the answer that you're looking for. It's okay if you can't figure it all out. It's okay if you can't wrap your mind around what's happening to you. In the midst of it, listen to me, don't trade what you know for what you don't know. Now there are seven certainties I want to share with you as we talk about suffering. Seven certainties. You say, Jared, what is it that I know in times of heartache that I want to make sure that I don't trade? I want to give you seven certainties, and we're going to fly through these for sake of time, okay? Certainty number one. Here's what you, what you don't trade, all right? Number one, don't trade what you know for what you don't know. Seven certainties of suffering. Number one, suffering is universal and unavoidable. All right? It comes in all different shapes and sizes. We live in a fallen world. Therefore, mark it down, we will all suffer. Doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what ethnicity you have, doesn't matter how much you have or how much you don't have, what your education level is, we all suffer. According to Romans chapter 8, all of creation suffers. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, for we know all of creation, the whole creation, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan eagerly as we eagerly or we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons through the redemption of our bodies. Because of sin, all of creation groans. I mean, you look at a tornado, you look at an earthquake, you look at a tsunami. What is happening? Creation is groaning because of sin. Okay? We ourselves, all of us, every single one of us, suffer. Uh, we, we go through times of heartache and tragedy. We all will suffer. It is universal and it is unavoidable. I know what some of you are thinking. Jared, I'm suffering now. Listen to you preach. All right, hurry on with it. Get Scott back up here. Whatever. We all suffer. Okay? And for Christians, listen to me. For Christians, suffering is not the exception. But rather, when you read Scripture, it is the norm for Christians. Uh, for those that think we ought to just be healthy, wealthy, and wise, that's, uh, healthy, wealthy, and whole, that's not Scripture. For Christians, we will suffer. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, all will be persecuted. Some of your Bibles say, will suffer persecution. Paul in Acts chapter 14, he is beaten, he is stoned. Talk about someone doing the right things, planting churches, sharing Jesus. And he's stoned when he recovers. The Bible says in Acts chapter 14 verse 22 that he began to strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. He's just echoing Jesus in John chapter 16 verse 33 where Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So whether our suffering comes as a result of living in a fallen world, or whether it becomes as a result of being a Christian and living in a decaying culture who is persecuting us and causing us to suffer, either way, mark it down, suffering is universal, it is unavoidable, we all suffer. Second certainty, suffering is temporary. Romans 8.18 for I consider that the sufferings of this, what? Present time. Present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. He'd write again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For this light, momentary affliction. 
is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's light. It's momentary. It will one day be over. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, Peter writes, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. And after you have suffered a what? A little bit, a while, just a little while. The God of all grace who has called you as eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, and strengthen, and establish you. Listen, I know it is much easier for me to stand up here on a Sunday morning, dressed in a coat, really looking nice today, all right, and say to you, say to you that your pain and what you're experiencing, that trial that you're going through, it is, it is momentary. It is, it is only for a short time. It's real easy to say, a lot harder when you're in the midst of it, but that doesn't negate the truth. It is temporary. And for those of you that suffer, one day and one day soon, it will come to an end. Your suffering will be no more. Number three, certainty. Don't trade what you know for what you don't know. Number three, suffering is not a result of punishment. All right, now I need to camp out here just for a moment. Really elaborate on this point. Because sometimes, and it's natural to do this, when we go through a tough time, when we go through a trial, when we experience pain and heartache of some kind, it is very natural to think, what did I do to God to deserve this? And we think that we are being punished for our sin, or someone we love is being punished because of some sin that we committed. So I need you to hear me on this. What I'm about to say is only for those that are Christians, only for those that have asked Christ into their life. We may suffer due to the consequences of our sin. No doubt about it. If we're Christians and we walk away from the will of God, we walk away from the word of God, we get outside of his guardrails that he's put into our life, his word, his will, his way, we will suffer. The Bible says we will reap what we sow. There are consequences to sinful decisions living outside of the word of God. And sometimes they are severe consequences. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says the Lord disciplines those he loves and he chastises. He scourges everyone he considers a son or daughter of God. So we do suffer consequences for sin. But God does not, hear me, does not send suffering as punishment for sin. Punishment for sin was dealt with at Calvary. That's the beauty of the gospel. Our sin was judged. It was punished in the brutal slaying and sacrifice of Jesus. God will use our suffering as a tool to refine our faith. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But he does not send it as a tool of punishment for our sins. That's why he sent Jesus. So when you find yourself going through suffering, when you find yourself in a time of heartache, trial, trouble, what we need to do, absolutely, we step back, we ask God the Holy Spirit to search us. If there is sin in our life, we confess sin, and according to 1 John 1, 9, he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If someone has sinned against us, we search ourselves, we search the actions against us. Maybe someone has sinned against us, and that's why we're suffering. Then we pray and we talk about what is it, what is it to confront in love, and we deal with that. But what we need to do 
is remember, you might be suffering simply because you're living in a fallen world. It is not punishment for sin. That was dealt with at the cross, okay? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Write this down. It's a promise in Scripture. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That word now is in its present tense. That means right now, five years from now, 50 years from now. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you really want to have a worship time this week and your time alone with the Lord, write down Psalm 103, verse 10, that says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Can I get a witness? That's good right there, okay? And so if you want to worship, just think about that. God is not treating us as our sins deserve, all right? So, so suffering is not punishment uh, for sin. Certainty number four, I put these in personal pronouns because I want you to own these truths. Here we go. God loves me and has not forgotten me. Isn't that a temptation? Boy, you go through this tough time and it's dark. As I mentioned earlier, you're praying and it doesn't seem like your prayers are going past the roof. You feel so alone. And the temptation is to think, God, have you forgotten me? God, do you not love me? And I just want to point you to Romans chapter 8, specifically the latter verses, verses 32, verses 35 through 37. And that truth is there, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Trial, hardship, angels, demons, heaven, hell, nothing separates us from the love of God. This is, this is what Mary and Martha thought. They thought God had forgotten them. Don't you know Lazarus forgot, thought that? I mean, he's on his deathbed. When is Jesus coming in? All right? He doesn't show up. Where were you, Jesus? But Jesus had other plans. He had greater plans. He, he wasn't going to just heal Lazarus. He was going to raise him from the dead. They were going to get to see the glory of God. Don't translate God's perceived silence is the fact that he's forgotten you or he somehow doesn't love you anymore. God has great plans for you. And just as in Lazarus' case, let's just trust in him. He is on his way. Hebrews 13, 5, he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. God's presence with you in the midst of whatever storm you may find yourself in today. Truth number five, certainty number five in the midst of certainty. Don't trade what you know for what you don't know. What do you know? Here's one you know. God empathizes with me. Shortest verse in the Bible. Some of you say, man, I could never memorize scripture. You can memorize this one. All right, John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. This is the, one of the verses I shared with the police officers that day. I'm standing there preaching, looking out over a flag-draped coffin to about five or 6,000 police officers in our community. And I said, you want to know what Jesus feels in this moment? The exact same thing you do. Hurt, pain, anger over sin and unrighteousness. You want to know what Jesus is doing at this point? The same thing you are. He is weeping. Listen, God knows that we're but dust. He created us, knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows that our life is like a vapor. We're here today and gone tomorrow. You better believe he empathizes with us in our suffering. It's one of the main reasons he left the glories of heaven to come to earth. The Bible says he learned obedience through suffering. He identifies with us. He's with us in the midst of suffering. He, he, he puts himself in our shoes. He knows our pain, feels our pain, and is with us in the midst of our pain. Certainty number six. God uses suffering for my good and his glory. I told you we're flying through these just for sake of time. God uses his suffering or our suffering for my good and his glory. And if children, then heirs, Romans 8, 17. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided... We suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There's not a soul in here. There's not a person in here that doesn't want to be glorified with Christ. We want to be with him one day. We want to be as he is, see him face to face in heaven. Every one of us want to be glorified with him. 
But the truth of Scripture is we'll never be glorified with him apart from suffering with him. Because it's in our suffering that we're conformed to the image of Christ. This is one of the main ways it's for our good. Romans 8.28, this is not a verse that should be casually quoted to people in pain because they know it. But it's still a truth that we need to really take to heart. For we know that all things, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. See, suffering, it purifies our faith. It makes us more like Christ. This is why James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Why? Because it's the testing of your faith that develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its course so that you'll be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. It's suffering that makes us more like Christ, that draws us near to Christ, unlike anything else. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says that we go through these times of pain because it's the tested genuineness of our faith. God looks at us, and what he's most concerned about is not our comfort. What he's most concerned about is not our education, how much we make, how healthy we are. What he's most concerned about is our faith that is purified, like gold, Peter says. And the greatest thing that purifies our faith, like it or not, and none of us naturally like it, is pain, suffering, heartache, because it draws us near to Christ. It's for our good, and it's meant to bring him glory. Uh, if you're going through pain and heartache, let me just say that the, the, the only way I know to explain it, God never asks us to understand his, his plans. He asks us to trust in him. And I think that the, the suffering and walking through it and getting through it, it runs on two tracks. We've got to know with confidence, God, this is for your good. And Lord, this is for your glory. The greatest example, Genesis Joseph, right? Sold into slavery by his brothers, then goes to prison for a number of years. God raises him up to the second uh, most influential man in all of Egypt. And what does he tell his brothers when he's confronted with his brothers? He said, what God meant for evil, or what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And to save a nation, he saved the nation of Israel from famine. God took him through these trials and these pains and these, these troubles in order for him to be established to the second most influential person in all of Egypt. He saved a nation, but he had to go through the prison. Um, so, what God allows us to go through is for my good and for his glory. Certainty number seven. God gives us his spirit and his church to help me. Um, I told the first service and wasn't even planning on it. But uh, if, if, if you want to go to, there's a website called I Am Second. I don't know if you're familiar with it. My story's on there. You can go and, and, and look at, at it later. Jarrett Stevens. And uh, just long story short, very short, was abused uh, between the ages of 8 and 12 by a little league coach, never told anybody until I was 19 years old. And you want to talk about a storm, you want to talk about a trouble, you want to talk about a trial, that was one. And I can remember when the, this God was leading me to, to share this secret that I'd carried around, never told a soul. I went to my home church, I was working there that summer, 19, and I went into a small little prayer closet that was off to the side and I just laid there on my face. And I didn't even know what to pray. I didn't even know what to say. I just knew that I was about to tell something to someone that I'd never told before. I didn't know what was going to come with that, the weight of it. And I just laid there, 19 years old, face to the, to the ground. And I'm telling you, the truth of Romans 8, 26 and 27 came alive in my heart like never before. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
I'm telling you, when you don't know what to pray for, when you don't even know how to make it another day, through the, when the night is so dark, you can't even see your hand in front of your face, I'm telling you, the Spirit is there. That's how good God is. He gives you His Holy Spirit to pray for you. He gives you His church. If I had time, I'd read 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that says, Comfort others with the comfort with which you've been comforted. Man, don't you know that you're going through a pain, you're going through a heartache, you're going through trouble? There's someone else in here that has gone through that same journey. That's why God gives you the church to comfort one another and say, listen, I've been there. I know what it's like. I can empathize with you. I can walk with you. And that gives you the church to celebrate life's victories. But yes, to go through life's defeats together. The, the, the beauty that God gives you. His spirit and his church. What a wonderful promise. Don't trade what you know for what you don't know. The Bible says we see through a mirror dimly, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. But one day we will know and be fully known. Until then we walk by faith, our eyes on Jesus. It is okay to ask why. It is okay to not understand why. Third and final point, we'll call it a day. It's not okay to lose hope. Okay to ask why, okay to not understand why, but it is not okay to lose hope. Don't ever count Jesus out, ever. After having a conversation with Mary and Martha, he sees their weeping, he hears the wailing of the community gathered around that are weeping with them, and he says, take me to the tomb. According to verses 40, uh, 38 through 44, he goes to the tomb, he says, remove the stone, and you know what? He says, Lazarus, come out. I like what that old preacher said, right? You better be glad he said the name Lazarus. Not every dead man in that cemetery would have come on out. I love the fact that four days of death has nothing on the power of the words of Jesus. I'm telling you, whatever you're facing today, it might even be death. It has nothing on the power of Jesus. And so, no matter how dark the night is, no matter how wet your pillow is because of the tears that you cry when you lay your head on it at night, no matter how tough the day is, no matter how hard it is to take the next step, don't you lose hope because we serve the God of the impossible. We serve a God that raises the dead. And as long as he is alive and reigning and according to the scripture, that is forever and ever and ever. Listen, we have hope. So that's the message that I shared that day to those police officers and with Michael's family. When they're asking questions and don't know why, and it's, it's what we share today. Because listen, there's somebody. It's been said, if you're not going through a trial, you're in the middle of the one, or just coming out of one, or about to head into one. It's a certainty of life. Ask why. It'll build your faith. Doesn't mean you're going to understand it, and that's okay. But don't you dare lose hope. Because Jesus, he's with us, walking right there. In the middle of us, through whatever storm we may be, and Jesus is right there. Do not lose hope. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Heads bowed and eyes are closed. As we come to the Lord in prayer, I just want, listen, if you don't have Christ in your life, you don't have hope. At the end of the day, you're trying to do this on your own, get through whatever it is you're going through on your own, and, and it can't happen. You need, one of the reasons that God sends trials and troubles into our life is to allow us to see that we need something bigger than ourselves. 
And the tendency is to run away from God when trial and trouble hits. And we turn to relationships or we turn to money or we turn to a substance. And we think that's what's going to give us peace and that's what's going to fix this mess. And I'm telling you, the only thing that will fix it is Jesus. And so if you don't have Jesus living in your heart, today needs to be what we call the day of salvation. It's where you, in the humility of your own heart, just bow and receive him as Lord and say, Jesus, I've been going my own way, doing my own thing, and I can't do it anymore. I need you. Come into my heart, be my Lord, be my Savior. You can pray that right now in your own words. Jesus, save me. And the truth of the scripture is that Jesus comes and he lives inside of you. And now you don't have to do it on your own. This is why you need a church. This is why, this is why we attend church. It's because we have brothers and sisters that are, as the scriptures say, here to comfort others with the comfort with which we've been comforted. There's somebody in here that can help you as you go through that tough time. Some of you need to join this church. Join the, the, the brotherhood and sisterhood that, that exists in this faith family. You're not meant to go through life alone. No, we're here. Celebrate life's victories. Go through life's defeats. So if it's trusting in Christ, if it's joining his church, some of you need to make those decisions today and solidify those decisions. Signing on the dotted line. Making the commitment. Others of you, you're Christ followers. And again, that doesn't absolve us from going through tough times. We do this at my church a lot. And again, nobody's looking around. Lights are down. But if you're going through a tough time. Would you just let it be known by putting your hand over your heart? You know somebody going through a tough time. You want a special prayer for them. I just want to pray for you. Hand over your heart just represents, man, I'm praying for this person. I'm praying for this situation that I'm in. I want to lead us in prayer, and then we're going to respond in worship, singing to our great God. And the songs that flow out of this time of the preaching God's word just are so appropriate for putting our eyes on Christ. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, you see these hands over hearts. Lord, you know the pain, the heartache, the tears. You know the struggle. You know the dark night of the soul that each one of them face or somebody they love is facing. God, I just ask your mercy and grace and your presence to surround them, to be with them. Lord, even though we may not understand what you're taking us through, Lord, I pray that you'd give us eyes of faith to see and to trust and obey and to walk with you. So Lord, we... We say collectively today, our hope is in you, and we will not lose that hope. We will anchor to you, Father. And we thank you, Lord, for being a God who hears and who answers our prayer. So, Father, surround these with your hope and your mercy and your grace, and most of all, Lord, your presence. Never leave us, never forsake us. Thank you for the truth of that scripture. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.